It's a joy to be here. The, I had nine wonderful years in this church. I don't think anybody's here that was here when I was here the, in those years gone by. Been a long time in my church where I am right now. But the blessing of God is what makes us rich. Amen. It's the blessing of God that makes us rich. And, and we need to keep our eye on the goal. We need to know who we are, what we're about, what God has called us to do. So I've given you an outline, and it's out of Joshua chapter 1. And uh, you'll notice the title of the message, Securing the Future. Uh, very few people think ahead when it comes to God's work. We've got a lot of children in the congregation today, and, and uh, securing your future is very important to all, to all of us. The future is very, very important, and, and there are various things we can do to secure that future, and various things, if we do not do them, we will create a disaster uh, in, in our life and in our ministry. Well, let's read the text. Now, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord speak unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said to Moses. From the wilderness of this Lebanon, even to the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites under the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Be strong and of a good courage. For unto this people shalt thou divide for inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success." Have I not commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever, whithersoever thou goest. You'll notice the first bullet under the first point, a great commission and a call to confidence. Joshua had to know who he was, what he was called to do, and then how he was going to do it. And it was a fearful task that he was given. It was frightening. It was terrifying, the call that God had given him in ministry. So we have in the first bullet a traumatic, historic change in the life of Joshua and the whole nation. I will never forget as a younger preacher, as I sat in preacher boys and I sat as a student, I went to Bob Jones University. That was my background of training. I will never forget sitting as a student in the various Bible conference services or chapels, and these spiritual giants were up there preaching the messages, and I was terrified. I said, what in the world, when they are gone, am I going to do? 
What in the how? Who's going to replace these guys? How are we going to make it? What are we going to do? And I said, I, I'm, I'm not going to be able to do that. It was terrifying to me. And Joshua is at a moment, of t- a terrifying moment. Moses is dead. Moses is all they had for 40 years. And Moses is gone. What are we going to do now? How are we going to make it? What are we going to do in the next generation? And it's going to fall on your children. It's a terrifying thing. So Joshua is going through this experience. Point A, there's an abrupt disconnect from the past. Things are never going to be, never again going to be the same as they were. This is, this is amazing. And as we move along in life, there is change. We cannot go back into the past. We cannot hang on to the past. The past does not guarantee the future. It's the principles that guide us in life and ministry that guarantee the future, not the past. It matters not how strong the past. It it matters the foundation that we lay for the future. That's where it all is. So we need to be aware of that, keenly aware of that as we move along. You'll notice under B, capital letter B, the multi-generational nature of God's work. Though Moses was dead, God's purpose was very much alive. Aha, think about that. God's purpose doesn't end when the past, when the past generation is gone. When one generation, God's purpose remains. So the next generation has to have a heart for God's purpose. Okay? The problem we have among Christian young people is that, that, is that the culture and the technology of the day has captured their hearts, but God has not. All right? If God will capture our hearts, our lives will be totally different. So there's a multi-generational thing. Moses is dead. God's purpose is very much alive. And Joshua was now designated by God to continue and to carry out that purpose. Not a new purpose, but the very purpose that brought brought them to this place under the leadership of Moses stayed intact. There was a possession, there was an inheritance, there was a land where they were to go in and possess that land. Joshua continued then the ministry which Moses commenced. And then others would follow Joshua. To build on his ministry. All ministries multi-generational. You can't say I succeeded. You, you don't know what you did until generations go and come and go beyond you. So it's multi-generational. Two things are given to all who are devoted to God's purpose, to God's service. Number one, they get a revelation from God. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now take this people and you go across this Jordan and you take this inheritance that I I have given to you. The Lord Jesus gave us a great commission, did he not? Those are the marching orders of the church. If If you're in the Marine Corps, it's forward march and it's according to the orders, not according to how you feel. Not according, everybody doesn't decide which way the regiment's going to go for himself. You don't have a, a get-together meeting and, and have a boat on it. You get your orders from above. 
and that the church gets his orders from above. We get our marching orders and God gives us a mission what he wants done. But with that, he gives us divine provision. Oh, I, I, could, I should stop here and take the next 20 minutes and just talk about how God provided when we were here in Yucca Valley in our ministry in San Francisco. Prior to that, as I planted a church in North Carolina, it's God's provisions. God never orders anything for which he does not provide. God never orders anything for which he does not provide. He just does not. He has promises. And the promises are the sure fulfillment of God's purposes for your life. You can't do his purpose without his promise. Because the promise exceeds what you have. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. Secondly, there is supernatural help from God. And you never know the supernatural help from God until you get involved in the impossible. It's when you face the impossible. Some of you, a lot of you have been there. The things in your lives, you, we're not going to make it through this. How will we, in church life, in individual life, in business life, there are impossible situations. You pray your way through them, you see the hand of God, and then the next time your faith is a little stronger and you, you pray again. And So you'll notice there the note, and this is so important. Christians need to know that the calling of God always requires us to do that which goes beyond our personal resources and capacities. Joshua was not able to do what God called him to do. There wasn't any human being that had the capacity to do what Joshua was called to do. God's commands are always God's enablements. The two always go hand in glove. You're called to teach a Sunday school class. I can't do that. Well, why did God give us the Holy Spirit of God? To enable. He's the enabler. He's the helper. He's the divine assistant that God has given us to make possible ministry that we Cannot do. I can't visit in a hospital and pray with someone. Oh, yeah. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. It's not our ability. It's God's provision of strength and wisdom that, that, that makes all of this possible. There's the supernatural provision of the work of the Spirit of God in our lives that always enables us to do everything that God's called. God never calls us to do something for which he will not enable us. It doesn't happen. And it's a scary thing. I, I find as a pastor, Christians, oh, I can't do that. I could never do that. I, I, I thought, well, I could never preach. And really, genuine ministry always is done within divine enablement or it's not genuine ministry. It takes divine enablement for genuine ministry to take place, whether it might be, be to your family might be to your neighbors, might be in, in your church, might be at work. So the calling of God is, always requires us to do that which goes beyond our personal resources and capacities. I've got to move on, but I'll tell you one of my favorite verses is, is uh, the little fella's misquote of his Sunday school memory verse. Little fella, fella, fella came home and he said, I will not leave you comfortable.
And, and I find out, you know, the, the life of faith is a life of perpetual discomfort because you never can see the resources you need to do what you got to do. Isn't that true? It's a life of perpetual discomfort. I will not leave you comfortable. We're always in deeper than we can get out without divine help. One of the, one of the great Psalms, prayers in the Psalms is, Help, Lord! That's a great prayer. And anybody that's in the Lord's work prays that lots of times. Help, Lord. And so we move on. C, capital letter C, a great heritage freely given by a sovereign God. You are to take them to the land which I am giving them. Now, when you read the New Testament through, God is, God is a, he's a great God. He's an abounding God, an abundant God, and everything that he provides, everything that, that he does. And he offers us victory in Christ, an amazing, abounding grace. Paul prays that we might experience the surpassing greatness of the power of God, which he exercised in the act of raising Jesus Christ from the dead? You look at that and say, can I experience that? But Paul said, I'm praying that you will experience that. And the challenge of the New Testament as you read it is it goes beyond anything you've experienced. It goes way beyond anything you've ever experienced as a Christian. Power in prayer, just, just all the various things that God offers to believers. Well, there's a little secret in this thing. God was going to give them the land. He was gifting them the land. But they had to go in and fight the battles that it took to get what God gave them. And it's interesting, this little thing we call work... Most ministry is disguised as hard work and difficulty. There were, they, were, had to, they had to be willing to engage in battles. There was a struggle all the way through. You see, there's nothing wrong with you spiritually if you have to struggle. Are you hearing me? There's nothing wrong with you spiritually if you're fighting battles. That's the norm. You get the inheritance by fighting the battles. Huh? Yeah, yeah. No promised land unless you march around Jericho and go against all of these walled cities and these giants. It's a battle. It's a spiritual battle. There's no easy way to do this thing. We're in a day when everybody thinks there's an easy way to do things. There is no easy way to do anything. No easy way to do anything. On the bottom of the page, that should be point number one under C. Human effort is necessary to receive this heritage. The land was God's gift, but it could only be obtained by hard fighting. God freely gives, but we must open our mouths wide and receive that which he gives. So we have a great divine assurance on page two. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you like I spoke to Moses. There is an enormous, unspeakably wonderful heritage set before them. 
And there is also a very certain outcome predict, predicated on the word, of, word and character of God. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life as I was with Moses. I will be with thee. I will not fail thee. I will not forsake thee. That's a divine promise. No man's going to be able to stand before you and just like I was with Moses, I am going to be with you and I won't fail you and I will not forsake you. Now there's one thing God cannot do and that is God cannot be less than God. When my dear wife and she's been home with the Lord I think around 11 years now, when she went home to be with the Lord, she had cancer, lung cancer. And for nine months, we thought, well, maybe maybe there, there was good response to the various medications and chemotherapy. And then it metastasized, and the doctor said, nothing we can do. So what do you do? What do you do? And I sat in my office one day, and it came into my heart and mind, if God is really God... I think that's true. Are you, are you awake? Yeah. Yeah. If God is really God, you're going to be okay. Amen. Because if God is really God, you will lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd. King James says, I shall not want. The Hebrew is direct. I lack nothing. I lack nothing. And that is true for everyone that sets his sail in the will and purpose of God. I lack nothing. There's a divine injunction. There are divine commands. There's a human responsibility in verse number six. Be strong and of a good courage. Be strong and courageous. And then I have some texts here. We have time to read them here. We'll run the, we'll run the clock out on this one. But in Numbers 13, the first section there, this is the negative response of those that went in to see the land. And they said, we can't do this. This is not possible. The, the, the powerful uh, people, uh, the, the Nephilim, the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, the giants, the, the, these are monsters and they have these walled, fortified cities. They're bigger than we are and, and they're stronger than we are and we, we're not going to be able to do this. It's a wonderful land. But oh boy, we're not going to be able. Ten of the spies brought back that report. And when you look at the will of God, now hear me, when you look at the will of God and God calls you to do something, you be very careful how you respond. Because the first response with Moses was, when Moses was called by God, is you got the wrong man. Send somebody else. I can't do this. Okay, well, the fact of the matter is you can't. But the fact of the matter is God can if you will give yourself to him and let him do it through you. That, that's how this works. It works by God doing things in your life that you can't do. He can give you wisdom you do not have. Wisdom does not come with age. It comes from God and from his word. Okay? So, so don't be intimidated by youth if you need wisdom. You're five, ten years old, ask God for wisdom, and he'll give it to you. You don't have to have 100 years of experience. So you have the negative, and then you have, then you have the positive. And, and, and Caleb and Joshua, 
If the Lord delights in us, he'll bring us into this land. He'll give it to us, the land which flows with milk and honey. Don't be afraid of these people. They're bred for us. Their defense has departed from them. The Lord is with us. Now that's where the key is. The Lord is with us. Don't fear them. So we go to page three. We'll move along. The certainty of the divine undertaking on behalf of the people's efforts. The text says you shall give this people possession of the land. If God says it's going to happen, it will happen. It will happen. The great sovereignty of God. I want to park here for 20 minutes. Moses said, what's your name? God says, I am who I am. Manoah asked the angel, what, what's your name? He said, why do you ask my name since the Hebrew word is incomprehensible. My name is incomprehensible. Now, are you awake? Can I give you a little heavy stuff here? It's, it's okay. It's, it's okay. Now, listen. God is everything he is all of the time. And there's never any time when he is not everything he is. Now, have you studied the attributes of God at all? God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. Is that true? God is love. God is love at the same time that he's all-powerful. God is just and right. Always just and right. God is always merciful and gracious. At the same time, he is all of those things. The love of God never violates the justice of God. The power of God never violates the gentleness of God. Take every attribute of God, the wisdom of God. He's all-knowing. There's never anything in your life where God is not exercising his wisdom and his justice, and his love, and his power. All of his attributes work, none in in isolation, one from the other. Are you getting the picture? I am what I am, which means that anytime you need something, you will get the right answer. You'll get the right response. You'll get the right provision. Now, think this through. Isn't it good that God does not consult our wisdom? Is that not good? I am who I am. You are going to get this land, but you'll get it on my terms. Trust me. Walk with me. Fight with me. Enjoy the victories with me. Go through whatever you have to go through to to accomplish this divine purpose so you can give this land to your children. Do it right. Okay? So you have the fear of God, and I'm going to park here a little bit, and we'll see how far we can get with this thing. The fear of God, I've given you a a, a double definition or a a two-parted definition of the fear of God. Is this coffee time? Huh? Huh? 
The fear of God. What is the fear of God? We're to live in the fear of God, but the fear of God is an awesome respect, an awesome regard. The fear of God is the absolute moral certainty. Underline those three words. Absolute moral certainty. That without fail, God will ultimately judge and destroy everything that is wrong. Now, is that true? Will God do that? I am that I am. Is that right? Ultimately. So you're doing the right thing and you're getting your head chopped off. What's going to be the outcome? God's going to win. God is not a loser. Write that one down. God is not a loser. Secondly, the fear of God is the absolute moral certainty that without fail, God will ultimately reward and establish everything that is right. God is a winner. God is not a loser. And when he says you are to be strong and courageous, they're to do so because God is who God is. That's the reason. And God cannot fail. And he will not fail. And when you honor God, God can never fail to honor the person that honors him. Let me repeat that. God cannot ever fail to honor the person that honors him. Or in doing so, he would dishonor himself. Did you get that? And God can't do that. We live in moral, absolute moral certainty. And that's what makes us courageous. And that's what makes us strong. I am that I am. That's the foundation of all of these. Now, point number three in the middle of the page, page number two, page number three rather. There were necessary human responsibilities to assure their entering fully into their inheritance. King James says, be strong, and New American Standard says, be strong and very courageous, be, and that thou mayest observe to do, which means be careful to do. It's the Hebrew way to go with that. So I've got three things here, and I've got to go over them carefully but strongly. I've got an A and a B and a C. If you want to summarize the teaching of this text, these three things are in that. You're to be confident. You're to be courageous and you're to be careful. Those three things. How do you have a strong foundation for the future? You've got to be confident in God. You've got to be courageous. And there's, there's a, an adjective there. It's a, it's a compound word. The Hebrew word means to be strong or brave or bold. Exceedingly. It means be very courageous. Be excessively courageous. That's what he's telling him. This is going to take a courage beyond normal courage. So be confident, brace up, be strengthened, be strong. I've got Ephesians 6.10 in there. The reason I put that there is because in the Greek text, there, there is a, there is a, a command uh, that is in a uh, Greek, Greek grammatical construction that would read it this way. We read it this way, be, be strong in the Lord, okay? Be strong in the Lord. But this is a passive verb, a command, and it is be being strengthened. 
be being strengthened in the Lord. He's talking about a process. I'm going to be strong. No, you know, you're not. You just, you just don't be strong. There's a process of things you put into your character that strengthen you. Be being strengthened in the Lord. You say, I'm so weak. Well, tell me about it. I'm weak. Anybody here that's not weak? We're all weak. That's the address at which we live. Shake your head. Baptist confession time. All right. We're all weak. Be being strengthened in the Lord. And so when he says be strong, be confident, brace up, it's a process that he's talking about in this case. Be courageous and be careful. Notice at the bottom of the page and that number one there, confidence and courage in and of themselves cannot fulfill divine purpose apart from complete and careful obedience to God's word. I ought to repeat that a dozen times. I'm going to be strong. No, if if you don't have a foundation for your faith, it's useless. Confidence and courage in and of themselves cannot fulfill divine purpose apart from complete and careful obedience to God's word. All right? Everything we do is vain if we are not doing things in God's way and according to God's purposes. The whole book of Judges is about people that everybody did what was right in his own eyes. And that's the way the evangelical Christianity is today. Everybody's doing everything that's right in their own eyes. And we're measuring everything by the culture instead of by God's word. That's a problem. That's a problem. Now this confidence, and I've, I just went through and my, my concordance, my computer concordance, take heed appears 55 times. Take heed, which means be careful, watch out, and uh, go to the top of page three. The, the, that expression is, is given uh, in, in different ways through your New Testament. Um, be on your guard, pay close attention, be careful, beware, watch, watch out. Those, those, those admonitions occur many, many times. Beware of the dog. Now, we used to have members in this church. I'm, I'm sure they've long moved from Yucca Valley, but uh, they, they were up, up, uh, up the hill, and, and, and um, uh, they had a beautiful home up there. But, but they had uh, Rhodesia Ridgeback dogs. Now, more like a horse. And I remember going up to, to their house one day to visit them. And I rang the doorbell. And the door started vibrating. And, and, and I said to myself, now this, is, uh, this has some potential for danger. <laughs> I've, never, I've never heard a dog that barked, that, that, that made the door vibrate like that. I mean, these, these dogs really knew what it was all about. And, and so there is, we have got to be careful in serving God and in building churches and building homes and families, building businesses. We've got to be careful how we do it. We need to know 
what God is all about and how he fits into the picture and how we relate to what he wants done. Everything done in life needs to be done with divine purpose and divine purpose is only defined by the word of God. That's the only place you find that. Paul said to Timothy, take heed unto yourself. New American Standards says, pay close attention to yourself. To yourself, to the doctrine, to the teachers, to the teaching. Be careful. If we're going to have a future in our churches, we have got to be founded on the Word of God. The Word of God is the only foundation. So, we must take heed. We must be careful. Let's move along. All of this is predicated on divine presence and divine enabling. Hebrews, let your conversation, your character be free without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. He he has said, I will never leave you. Now that word leave means to drop you, to desert you, to drop you off. He said, I'll never do that. I won't do that. I will never be gone out of your life. Now, he didn't say if you do all the right things and if you're always in fellowship and everything is all. No, he didn't say that. He said, look, he's talking to believers, Hebrew believers who are deeply discouraged because they're going through a lot of adversity and negative circumstances in their life. Everything's going wrong at this point. And he said, you need to understand that God is not going to drop you off. Doesn't matter what happens to you, God is going to be there. God will be there. That's a wonderful thing since my dear wife went home to heaven. I've never been alone once. Never been lonely, but never been alone once. Not once. I'll never drop you off. And I'll never forsake you. I will never abandon you. Leave you in the lurch. That's what the promise is. I'll never do that. And and in the Psalms, God said... My covenant is sure. It doesn't matter what Israel does. I, my word has been settled. It is unchangeable. It's unalterable. My promise is going to be fulfilled regardless of what Israel does. That's amazing. God loves us regardless. And if he didn't, we wouldn't be saved. Huh? If he didn't, we wouldn't be saved. So, the preeminence of God's word. The preeminence of God's word. Careful and complete obedience to God's law was the foundation making all of this possible. This was the key to the fulfillment and accomplishment of receiving the nation's inheritance. Without this, nothing else would matter. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. Now, did you notice how God's word is described there? What, what, what is the word that's used? My Alzheimer just kicked in. What, what is God's word called? Law. Law. Okay. Now, this is interesting. Why is God's word called law? You still awake? Got a little dessert for you. We'll put a cherry on your Sunday. God's word is called law because it governs. It's the great governor of everything. It governs everything. What God says governs the outcome of everything. It controls the outcome. 
Jeremiah, one of the, one of the most interesting things, Jeremiah chapter 1, God, God, God told Jeremiah, I'm calling you to be a prophet to the nations. And you're going to tear kingdoms down. You're going to build them up. And you read Jeremiah, and there are at least probably a dozen nations that are mentioned through there. And they're all going to be destroyed. And they're all going to be destroyed based on the fact that God told Jeremiah they were. God says, I'm going to watch over my word to perform it. I'll give my word to you. And when I talk about the nations, that's what's going to happen. God's word, listen to me. It is the word of God. Hear me, believer. It's the promises of God that determine the final outcome of everything in our lives. God is bound by his word. Is he not? Is he not? What good is his word if God is not bound by it? It's the law of God. It determines the final outcome of everything in life. Things are not what they look like. Things are what God says they are. He's the one that knows. He's the one that knows. You are to be careful to do. No, you're to meditate. Not, don't, don't, don't just study the law for the purpose of, 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 of arguing about how many angels can sit on the head of a pen. None of this theoretical stuff. None of this theoretical stuff. But you have, you, you, want to, you want to know what God says. You want to know what God's plan is. You want to know what God's purpose is. And then he says, be, be careful to do. Now, doctrinal correctness isn't enough. Doctrinal correctness is very important. But doctrinal correctness is not enough. It's not enough. There must be obedience and a careful carrying out of God's will and ways as they are revealed in his world. And in this text, according to everything that is written in it. God is interested in the details. Now, look this way for just a moment. Everything in God's Word is not clear. There are things in God's Word that good people argue about. Okay? But there are a lot of things in God's Word that are very clear, so clear, in fact, that to deny them, you deny the integrity of language and and, and the meaning of words. And when the text is clear, not when it's ambiguous, but when it's clear, obedience becomes absolutely necessary, whether... It is a, something to believe or whether it is a command to be obeyed. Huh? It's all important. And you're not going to have a future if you're not careful to do all that's written. Not everything that everybody believes, but all that's clearly revealed. Okay? You don't have a future without that. I put Psalm 119, 165 in there. Great peace have they which love your law, and nothing shall offend them. And then I put the New American Standard, and I I put some uh, explanation in. Those who love your law, that is, who love your governance, your lordship and governance in their lives. You can't love God's law unless you love God's governance. There's something in us that doesn't want to be governed. Yes? Something in us is, no, I want to do this. 
<laughs> oh my. Oh my. Those who love your law, your divine governance has great peace. And that's that word, Hebrew word shalom, which means joy and prosperity. The governance of God does not deplete your life, it fills it. It doesn't empty your life, it fills it. Now, the appearance of the culture is the exact opposite. You fill your life by getting things. But the Bible says you fill your life by giving, you fulfill your life, you get the fullness of God by giving your life away. God can't fill anything that isn't emptied out. Yeah? You fill yourself up with yourself and there's nothing for God to fill. Empty it out and ministry to the lives of other people and God will fill it up. Oh, it's amazing what you get from God when you give it all away. It's amazing. So the whole matter summed up. Have not, have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid. Neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. A command based upon the wonderful truth of God's never failing personal presence in our lives. So, how do we secure the future? We must be confident, we must be courageous, and we must be careful. And that confidence is a joyful confidence because our God is who he is. He can't be anything else. I am that I am. So, as you look toward the future years of this church, you're celebrating 60 years. Keep that biblical foundation strong. But the obedience end of it is just as much as the belief end of it is important and critical to the future. Have confidence in God. Trust him. Great peace have those who love your law. Those that love the governance of God. Wouldn't this world be a different place if God governed the whole thing? Wow. And wouldn't our homes be different if God completely governed them? It's kind of hard to let him do that, isn't it? <laughs> and our businesses. and well, wouldn't, wouldn't these things be wonderful if God had complete governance and control in, 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 in our lives? But he doesn't control us. He enables us. And so he gives us the Spirit of God to enable us to do and to be everything that he calls us to do. So, preacher, how do we want to end this sermon today? You want to come give an invitation? What do you want to do?